Good morning, church. Oh, some of you are half asleep. Good morning, church. Oh, there we go. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you please open them up to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. We're going to be continuing our, our series uh, through there this morning, through this book, and we'll be ending off the chapter. And while some of you are turning there and trying to find it, um, this book here, uh, Holiness by J.C. Rowell, had a massive part to uh, play in my forming of tonight, uh, this morning's sermon um, and just forming a lot of my Christian faith as well. He's a phenomenal uh, writer, great theologian. Um, so if you could get hold of any of his books, I suggest you do it, read it, uh, absorb it. It's some real great stuff and um, yeah, really, really good stuff. So I suggest J.C. Rowell is his name. If you want to come and look at the book afterwards, you, you can come and do that. All right, we're going to be diving into our passage this morning, 1 Timothy 1, 18 to 20. It goes as follows, um, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. It says this, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Among them are Hamanias and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Lord, we come before you this, this morning with a deep desire to hear from you. Lord, if, we, if we've come and we meet and we sing songs, but yet haven't heard from you and you, we haven't met with you, what a waste of a morning that is. So we pray, Lord, that you would just speak into our hearts um, that you would challenge us where we need to be challenged, that we would um, come to know you for those who don't know you. But ultimately, Lord, we want your name to be glorified in our lives and here this morning. So we ask that you would do that. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we see here is Paul calls us to an action. Paul calls us, he charges us to do something, and that is to wage a good warfare. One... Uh, uh, 2 Timothy 2 verse 3, Paul calls us a soldier of Christ. And we are called as Christians to come and fight for the glory of Jesus and fight a war. Now this might come as a bit of a, a surprise to some of us because when we hear uh, preachers on most of our, uh, on our television, when we hear them preach, we, we hear them preach a gospel of a life of comfort, of a life of ease, a life of prosperity, that we can essentially, if we have enough faith, just coast to the end of this Christian walk with a bunch of ease and it will be easy. But Paul here says, no, that we are called to come and fight a war, that we need to fight and fight well. And if we don't do that, church, then we have missed our purpose. We have missed what Christ has called us to. And that ultimately we have not lived this Christian life as well as we should have. So who do we fight? Who are we meant to go and fight this war against? Well, firstly, it's not other people. We don't fight particularly ourselves as Christians. We don't fight amongst ourselves. Rather, Jesus says he will be known by the way we love each other. We aren't meant to fight against even non-Christians. 
They are not our enemies. Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 12 that our, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against the physical nature. We don't wrestle against that, against other people. But behind them, what we find is that there is an enemy that is common to us as well. And there's three enemies. And the first one is the world. The second is flesh. And the third is Satan. And when we, we refer to the world being our enemy, we're not talking about conquering the world. We're not pinky in the brain. Um, but we are called to come and resist what the world says is the purpose of life. The, this concept of that we need to live in the here and now, that this life is all that we've got, and therefore we must enjoy it and enjoy it in this moment right now for our pleasure. And while that might be true when it comes to buying and eating chocolate, it certainly isn't true when it comes to living in this life. There's something far better than just this now. There's a future aspect in which we need to fight for, in which we need to live our lives for. And Paul says we must wage a good warfare, making sure that we live for the future and not just for the here and for the now. But there's also, we need to wage against the flesh. And you might be just saying, Joe, but you just said in Ephesians 6 verse 12, it says, do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So why are you saying we must fight against flesh? Well, there's two different meanings here. In Ephesians 6 verses 12, we're talking about the physical, the, the human body, so not wrestling against that. But when we talk about uh, waging war against flesh, we're talking about the natural desires that are in us, that, that are in us. And some of these natural desires are good. Like sleep, that's very good. I hope some of you enjoyed some of that yesterday. Uh, like having food, like having company, being around others. These things are good natural desires that we have. But even those and lots of others, these desires that stir up in us can be bad and are against what God wants us to do. And they wage war in us. They, they bubble up inside of us. And for those of us who have crossed the line of faith, who, who believe in Jesus, that are followers of Christ, we have been set free from these. So once we uh, were a slave to these, they, they told us to jump. We used to say, how high? But Jesus, when he died on the cross for us, ransomed us. He paid the price so that we could be set free from the bondage of this, from being their slaves to now that we are free. So when it says jump, we can say no. So we are set free from the flesh. But though we set free from it, they're still there. And they're attention-seeking little guys. They want our attention. They scream and they shout and, and they make and they perform until we give them our focus. And when we give them our focus, we, they are partially satisfied until we turn our attention elsewhere. And as soon as we do that, they start to perform and make noise again. And Paul says here that we need to wage war against our flesh. We need to fight against the flesh. Make sure that we are able to fight against it and not listen to these desires that bubble up inside of us. And this happens throughout our Christian lives as we war against the flesh. And thirdly, Satan is our enemy. We see in 1 Peter 5 that he's a, uh, he's a roaring lion that is seeking, prowling around, looking for someone to devour. 
Jesus described Satan in John 10 verse 10 saying that he is an enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we see in John 8 verse 44 that he is from the very beginning a murderer and a liar in which we need to fight and wage war against. And the thing with Satan is that he is a master of our psychology. He knows exactly how to make us angry. He knows exactly how to make us feel useless, have self, I have no worth. He knows exactly how to make us anxious, depressed, what buttons he needs to push because he is a master of psychology and can do that. And Paul says here that we need to wage war, that we need to wage war and fight against this. Some of you might be thinking, Joey, you know what, you've gotten a bit nutty since the last time you preached. Um, and we see here in, in Ephesians 6, verse 12, Paul says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Church, if we are to fulfill what we want to do, if we are to fulfill what Christ wants us to do, sorry, then we need to wage this war. We need to fight. We need to take up arms and fight this war. But how do we do that? How does Paul call us to fight this war, to, to fight this good fight? He says here in verse 19, the beginning, he says, holding faith and a good conscience. The first thing we need to do is hold on to faith. And we can hold on to faith in the general principles in, that are outlined for us in the gospel, who are outlined for us in scripture. The Bible gives us instructions on how to live this life and to live it well for the glory of Jesus. And we need to hold on to these principles that are in scripture as truth. So when the temptation comes along to wage, uh, to, when the enemy comes along and, and tempts us, there is this need that we hold on to these truths so that we may, may wage war and resist the temptation. So when something bad comes along and a temptation arises, and that is, we don't necessarily see it, those pleasures that come up, we don't necessarily see them as bad because they are something that we want, something that we crave, they passions, their desires. So this might seem attractive to you, but is contrary to the word of God. In that moment, we need to hold on to faith in the general truths that are outlined for us in scripture. And we are able to go, while this might seem good and pleasurable and desirable and something that I want, I need to hold on to the truths of God that this is better for me to resist. It's better for me to obey. It's better for me to be able to hold on to way, the way God wants because he comes to give me life and life abundantly. As John 10, 10 says, after he says the thief comes to steal kill and destroy. So we need to have hold on to faith in the general truths that we find in scripture. But we know, don't only hold on to faith in the general truths, but we also hold on to faith in the person of Jesus, in his death and also in his resurrection. So we hold on to the personal, we hold on to who Jesus is as a person because it is important for us to understand that Jesus understands the suffering that we are going through. 
that he understands the hardships of life, that he has not called us to a war in which he has not fought himself. So when we understand that at, the, at a young age that Jesus would have experienced the death of his father, and as a result, being the oldest male in the family, he would have had to lead, we understand that Jesus understands some struggles, understands hurts. When we understand that Jesus got hungry and thirsty on the cross, he says, I thirst. He got the normal desires that we need in life and things that we need to survive. Jesus needed those as well. When we understand that in Jesus' darkest hour on the cross, when he died and experienced immense physical pain, those who were closest to him abandoned him. They left him, left him alone. Jesus understands the difficulty of life. And we need to have faith in the person of Jesus. So when we are going through hardships, when we are waging war, we know that we have a God that is not far removed from the hardships that we go through, but is able to understand and has, is able to sympathize with us. So we need to have faith in the person of Jesus. But we also need to have faith in the death of Jesus. Now, this is the pinnacle and the most important part of, of Christianity. If we miss this, then we cannot call ourselves Christian. This is the most fundamental part of it all. And there's, there's two aspects in here I want to talk about. Firstly, that Jesus came to die for our sin. We've already spoken about this a little earlier, but Jesus came and he died to set us free from the slavery of sin so that we no longer have to obey sin, that sin no longer is our owner, it can't control us. The punishment of sin is not on us, but on Jesus. These are vital, important things for us to understand. And that if we simply believe in Jesus, if we simply cross the line of faith, that then we are set free to live for the glory of Jesus Christ so that we might be in eternity forever with him. And this is so important when waging war is when those natural desires start to stir up in us, we do not have to do this. We have victory over it, not because of who we are, but because Christ has set us free. It is no longer your master. You can fight this war because Jesus has set you free. Super important. But also as, as we look to the cross, we no, don't only see that Jesus died for our sin, but we also see love. This is hugely important. When I was a teenager, I often thought that the primary reason for Jesus dying on the cross was because of his hate for sin. And while it is true that Jesus hates sin, the primary reason for him dying on the cross is because he loves you and me. He cares for us. He loves us deeply. It's an act of love, his death on the cross. So when we are waging war and war is tough and war is difficult and temptation arises that is pleasurable, we are able to see a God who sympathizes with us, gets this war, has done it himself, who's there to comfort us, but also a God who has set us free from it. It doesn't have control of us anymore, but he also loves us deeply. And we need to have faith in that. We need to hold on to those things in, when these temptations arise and when the war gets tough and difficult and when the, the, the pleasures are desirable. We need to hold on to faith in this and wage war. But lastly, we also need to have faith in the, death, the resurrection of Jesus. Now, this is, this is vital to the Christian faith as well because if Jesus did not rise, 
his sacrifice was not accepted. But the, the fact that Jesus rose again to life proves the God, that God was satisfied with his sacrifice. Absolutely important. But it also shows, as we, I'm sure we sang this, this morning, that we have a lamb that was slain on the cross for us, that was worthy, but we have a king who conquered the grave. We have a king who is victorious, a king who ascended and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And what this shows us is that we have a God who is in control. So when the war's getting tough and we need to wage it and we need to go on, we see a God who sympathizes with us, a God who set us free from sin, a God who loves us, but also a God who is utterly in control of this all. So we need to hold on to the person, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and we need to have faith in him, trust on him to wage this war. May I ask you this morning, how's your faith going? How is your faith? Because faith, faith can vary. Seasons change, seasons go through, and faith varies. We see in Matthew 6, Jesus says, um, in Matthew 6, Jesus says, uh, now I've lost my train of thought. In, in Matthew 6, Jesus says, Oh, you of little faith. That wasn't a point. Oh, you don't have to write that down. He lost his train of thought. Okay? I see some of you scribbling down. <laughs> Matthew 6, he says, you, have, you of little faith. And then later on, we see that Jesus, when talking to the centurion, he says um, he was blown away by the centurion's faith. Faith varies. How's your faith doing? Do you need to stir up some faith? Because if you're not spending time with God, if you're not... Uh, spending time in his word, reading these wonderful truths about life, if you're not being blown away in awe and wonder of what our God has done for us on the cross through Jesus, our faith is weak. But like the person who, when Jesus says, do you have faith? He says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. We can come to God and we can ask him to stir up faith in us. Come and give us more faith to trust in him. That we might be more faithful in the way we live for him. How's your faith going? It's utterly important if we are going to wage this war to have faith in Jesus. But it's not only to wage war, but also to hold on to a good conscience, says Paul. Hold on to a good conscience. Now, a good conscience is um, when we understand what is right and wrong outlined for us in Scripture, it helps us to do what is right and not what is wrong. Do you get that? Does that make sense? So it doesn't decide what is right and wrong. No, that's decided for us in Scripture. But when we know what is right and wrong, a good conscience leans and pushes us to do what is right and not what is wrong. And this is important because if our faith is weak, then our good conscience tends to be easily swayed. So what happens is a temptation comes along, a passion stir up within us to do something that is not of God. And what we find is our good conscience says, oh, no, we must do this and we must do what is right and not what is wrong. But our faith is weak. 
Our faith in the general principles outlined by God, our, our faith in who Jesus is and what he's done for us on the cross seems to be weak and we are easily swayed because we start to think, well, is it really that important that I live like this? It's just once, it's okay, it's, it's enjoyable. I just do it really quickly. And we start to make excuses up so that our good conscience seems to be swayed because our faith is weak. Does that, you guys get that? But it also works the other way around. When our faith is weak, but we have a good conscience and we obey the good conscience, we listen to it, we essentially step out even though our faith is really small. We step out in faith and we trust God and we obey our good conscience and we do what is right and resist and we wage war here. What happens is we actually go, hey, that wasn't too dark. That wasn't that tough. That was good. That was, I, I feel, I actually feel a bit of peace here. I feel joy in obeying God. And as we obey our good conscience, our faith is strengthened. And as our faith is strengthened, so it is easier to obey our good conscience. And as our, our conscience gets, our good conscience gets stronger, so our faith gets stronger. And so it helps each other out. It's a both and. We need to hold on to both faith and a good conscience. Without one, the other is weak. And it's a whole, whole lot harder to wage war. whole lot harder to wage war. There might be some of you here this this morning who are considering this Christian thing. You're going, I've just come to check it out, whether or not I should do it. And Joey, you've, you've actually made up my mind pretty easily here because I don't want to be a part of a war. Who wants to do that? Why would I choose to be a part of a war? And the reality of the matter is there is no choice to be a part of the war or not. The choice is to whose side do you want to be on? Do you want to be on the winning side or do you not want to be on the winning side? Because there's only one flag in which we can fight under where there is victory and that's under Jesus. And the enemies that we as Christians have to face are your enemies as well. But ultimately they will steal, kill and destroy you. Where for those of us who are in Christ, by what he's done on the cross for us, we find victory. Not because we are good or we are special not at all, but just simply because we trusted in him. Because there's this free offer for all to love him, to choose him, and to be a part of his team. And if that's you today, I encourage you to choose his side. Because there's victory there, there isn't victory anywhere else. But there also might be some of you who are going through some horrible times at the moment. You feel like, Joey, well, I feel like I'm at war already. And now you're telling me I need to wage some. I feel like I'm just trying to defend. This is, this is not great. Life is hard. I feel like I'm at the gates of hell. It's just really difficult. And war is hard. But I want you to notice here that Paul in 1 Timothy 18 says, wage the good warfare. How, can, how in the world can Paul call this good why is this a good warfare for us to face? Well, in that book I showed you earlier, J.C. Rowell gives the following reasons on why he thinks this is a good war for us. And the first one is that the fight is good because it's fought under the best general. 
We have a God that makes clear movements on, for particular reasons and doesn't make mistakes when he makes those movements. He is a, a general that has come and has even died for his own soldiers. He's a general that cares about the least of his warriors, the least of his soldiers, who takes care of the sick and the wounded. And some of you might be going through really hard times. May I encourage you to say that we have a general who cares for you, that we have refuge and we're able to find refuge in him. We're able to find comfort in him. Seek his help. Seek his comforts. You can continue on because we have a great general, who, uh, the best of generals. We can fight. This is a good fight because it has the best of promises. There are tons, and, but he has two. One, uh, Philippians 1 verse 6 says that I am convinced that he who started a good work in you will bring it to completion. That he who enrolled you into his army will make sure that you see V-Day. That you see the end of this war. That you are able to make it to the end. He will make sure. We see um, in, Romans, uh, in Romans 8 verses uh, 38 and 39, it says the following. It says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have a love that will not be separated from us. God will never leave us regardless of what we go through. The love of God will always be with us. We have, this is the best of fights because we have the best of promises. The fight is good because it is fought with the best of helps. We have the Holy Spirit who leads us, who guides us, who directs us, who teaches us how to fight this war. We have a father in 1 Peter 1 verse 5, it says that he stands over us, guarding and protecting our salvation. And the image here is of a, a Roman soldier standing guard. But it's not just the angels, it's not um, the best army in the world, but it's God himself who stands over us and protects us. And we have the son who intercedes on our behalf, who talks for, on our case for the Father. When we mess up and this war gets hard and tough, we have the Son who's interceding. We have the best of helps. The fight is good because it has the best outcomes and results. There's going to be bruising, there's going to be injuries, there's going to be hurts, but we have the best outcome in this. Romans 8 verse 37 uh, says, no, in all these things, in all these trials, tribulations, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And this image of more than conquerors, the, the, the word that the Greeks used to, to, uh, that describes more than conquerors is a one that they would only use for the legendary for the Achilles, for the Hercules. That was a word that was left to um, describe those types of warriors. And Paul says, because of Jesus, regardless of the situations, the difficulties of this Christian life and the temptations that arise, because through him who loved us, we are more than conquerors. There's this best result that can happen 
because of Jesus. We have the best outcomes and results. The fight is good because it does uh, good to the soul of him who fights it. War is an awful thing that brings out the worst in men. But as we wage war against the inner desires that are not godly, against Satan and against against the world, we become better and better. We become more and more like Jesus, as 1 Corinthians 3.18. The Holy Spirit transforms us into the image of Jesus. We have a better relationship with God. We get to know his character more. We become more like him. It does better for our souls if we are to fight this war. The last thing that J.C. Rao mentions is the fight is good because it ends in glorious reward. Revelations 21 verses 3 and 4 talks about how we will be with God and he will be with us. That he will be our God and we will be his people. That there will be no more crying, no more pain. There will be no more sickness. That we'll be living in a perfect world. I, I don't know if you can imagine being in a world with, that is so glorious. In a world that there is no more sickness, no more crying. And that there will be a God there to wipe away our tears himself. That we'll have glorious bodies living in eternity in a perfect world. And this here is our future hope that we have. That when we struggle and when we wage war and, and, and things seem hopeless, when, when the struggle is so great that we cannot see the end, we have hope in this future that we're going to have. When we are carrying this cross that is hard and we can't see the glorious crown that we will receive, we have hope in the future that we're going to have. It's, it's with this perspective that Paul in Romans 8 verse 18 says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. We have this future hope in which we need to fight for and to motivate us, to help us to persevere, to keep on going, to wage war even when it's hard and difficult. And we're going to come around the communion table now. And as we, as we partake of, of these elements and as we pray for this and, and we spend time doing this, we are reminded that we are, have been lavished with the grace of God. And I say that because when we look at his death, we see that Jesus saved us and we see that he uh, ransomed us into his family, that we have been set free from the bondage of sin purely because of who he is and what he has done, not because we have done anything to deserve it. But then he calls us to fight a war, to wage war against sin. And in our own strength, we cannot do it, but through Christ, Through his empowerment, we can. Again, it is such grace that he saved us into this, but yet he empowers us to live it. And when he empowers us to live it, he then gives us a glorious reward. That's even more grace. He has saved us, he empowers us, and yet we don't deserve a reward. He does, but he comes and gives us more rewards for empowering us and helping us to do this. This is... Grace upon grace upon grace. And as we partake of these elements and we remember that Jesus died on the cross for us, that he shed his blood for us to die for our sin, we are just blown away by this amazing grace that God has for us. So as you do that, would you just spend time praying? Ask God to help you to fight this war. Thank him that he has set you free from 
the bondage of sin so that you might be able to do so. Father, there was a time when we were all your enemies. And your word says that even while we were your enemies, you sent your son to die for us. Um, And Jesus, now we just think of that sacrifice. We think of your blood poured out for, for us, poured out on your enemies so that you could move us from a place of being against you to being a part of your family. So that we could move from being um, orphans who are lost without any hope in this world, Lord, to being made sons of, of a king and to be in right relationship with you. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for shedding that blood. Thank you for paying that price, the only price that would, um, that could be paid to make us right before the Father. And as we drink of this blood now, Lord, we just want to think about that. And we, want to, we don't want to take it lightly, Lord. We don't want to take it for granted. Um, this means everything to us being right with you, Father. This means everything to us being in relationship with you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us. Father, as we think of the the bread before us this morning, we remember that uh, we could not buy it. Remember, Lord, that this offering of Christ was uh, beyond our own grasp to pay for. Lord, we couldn't earn it. We couldn't do anything in our own strength to, to bring it about. But so grateful this morning just as this table is prepared before us to simply come. We don't have to buy it. We don't have to work for it, Lord. We just simply take it as it's offered to us. Lord, so grateful for that. That's such a picture of your salvation for us, free. And so, Lord, as we eat and drink this morning, would you just be blessed for those of us who are of the faith. God, who have come to this place of recognizing you, Jesus, as our Lord and Savior. Would you just refuel that faith that Joe has been preaching about this morning? And for those who are not yet, Lord, would this be the first time they do it with eyes of faith? We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let us eat and drink together. Lord, we are just blown away by your grace and your mercy for us. That you would love us so much that you would come and die on the cross for us that we might know you. May, Lord, the awe and wonder of what you've done for us on the cross just blow us away each and every single day. May we continue on growing in, in the cross, um, in awe of it, and what, what that means to us. May we be able to hold on to that with both hands that we might be able to wage a good warfare for the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If anyone uh, wants prayer, uh, if you just, hey, I need to be, have some faith stirred, I'd like, to, if you want to get some prayer for that, maybe for those of you who, who aren't Christian but are thinking of crossing that line of faith and you want someone to do that with you, we would love to do that. Or maybe just pulling and going through some really hard stuff. And uh, you just need someone to, to pray with you with that as well. We, whatever it might be, we, us three up here, would love to do that with you. Um, otherwise, don't forget about the picnic uh, across the road there, or about across the road, I mean the children's hall. Uh, so through the, the kitchen, um, it would be great to have some fellowship with you.